Thank you for joining me today. This is Colin Hamilton, Commodities Analyst at BMO Capital Markets. And welcome to our short Metals Matters podcast where we highlight the key things you need to know in global metals and mining this week. The latest salvos have been fired on that topic du jour in global markets, the battle for critical mineral supply. Just over a week ago, we saw the release of the European Critical Raw Materials Act, the EU's version of solving its dependence on imports. It's definitely an EU document. It's long. It's unnecessarily complex. It's heavy on targets. It's light on detail. Compared with the Inflation Reduction Act, which is the natural comparison, that will, the Inflation Reduction Act, very much based on providing monetary firepower, the EU version, a limited mention of funds, but lots of policy rationale. Let's cut to the chase. What was interesting? Well, the EU wants a club of like-minded countries, which is verging on the exact type of protectionist block the EU typically seeks to punish, and that shows how critical critical materials are becoming. Interestingly, copper, nickel, manganese are on the EU's list. Copper in particular has been absent from other countries' critical minerals definitions, and the EU will support in-block mining extraction with simplified permitting and support for access to finance. To achieve compliance with the targets, notably on imports, trade flows will need to adapt. For example, at present, Europe gets almost all its magnesium from China. In my view, what is perhaps less discussed, uh, but very important, is that there's no way China is going to happily cede its leading position in critical minerals. Arguably, the areas of metals production and energy transition materials are the first ones where China not only has built a strategically dominant position in output, but also, importantly, has the technology lead. While sales to the developed world may diminish for emerging market consumers, Chinese material is still highly attractive. There is a weak spot, however, in that China is reliant on raw material imports in many areas. So as the rest of the world throws money and policy at its problem, China now faces some competition. We expect Chinese SOEs to invest in mines overseas again, both mining companies and potentially the downstream buyers, such as the battery manufacturers, and this is likely to see a re-rating of equities exposed to those raw materials that China is naturally short of. Also, when we think of some of the minerals Europe is looking to secure more raw material supply of, well, guess what? Many of them are exactly the same ones where China is looking to. Path towards segmented commodity markets and competition for security of supply is well and truly underway. Green shoots in China. Well, that's what we heard from CEO after CEO at the BMO conference in late February, without much in the way of tangible evidence. Now, though, evidence is emerging. Following the usual slow post-Lunar New Year pickup, we would say many of the latest data points do show improvement regarding China's industrial economy. Pace of recovery, however, arguably still disappointing relative to the wider market reopening expectations. What do we see? The credit cycle is cranking up. Total social finance was very strong over January, February, and February's new bank loans was the strongest seen yet in our data series for that month. Fixed asset investment, that's accelerated to 5.5% year-on-year. It's important, given infrastructure will have to do a lot of the heavy lifting for 2023 growth. EV sales shrugged off a poor January to record a strong February at plus 57% year-on-year, though the relative 2022 versus 2023 Lunar New Year timing was certainly part of that. And finally, and very importantly, property data is starting to improve on a year-on-year basis, admittedly off a low 2022 base. 
New starts, Jan Feb, still down 9% year on year. That reflects the fact developers are still not replenishing their new build pipeline at present, though this was the lowest decline seen in recent months. Floor space completed, though, which is important for base metals, has moved back into positive year on year territory, up 8% year on year. Residential property prices, they were up 4% year on year. Sales up by the same amount. That's the first gain since 2021. We expect this trend of improving data will continue into the second quarter despite the lack of new policy support at the recent NPC meeting. Real estate investment though, that's still down 6% year on year. There's a lack of land acquisitions. With that, second half of this year remains somewhat of an unknown. But taking that data forward, we are also starting to see this improvement come through metals markets and steel. Margins in China for both rebar and hot roll coil continue to trend higher. This had encouraged a rebound in output at uh, CISA member mills at least, though I would say the recent pollution issues in Beijing mean some near-term reversal is likely. Also, while the published steel PMI is not a metric that we inherently trust in terms of China, it was interesting to see this above the 50 level market expansion for the first time since May 2020. And in copper, semis producers serving the grid, home appliance and infrastructure sectors have received a sharp rise in orders, and that's led to a further rise in utilisation rates. Copper tube manufacturers, for example, are above 80% for the first time since 2021. With the arbitrage for copper imports finally open, we may see more signs of China pull on the global copper cathode market than has been the case in recent months. Financial market issues are overshadowing everything at the moment, and that includes metals markets. Everything is, of course, pretty fluid here, but what impacts might we see? Well, almost certainly the cost of utilising bank balance sheets will go up. And this is a very important metric for commodity trading. Trade finance is central to the movement of materials around the world. And if banks are looking to bolster their own balance sheets and, and nervous about counterparty risk, this is an area where overall credit availability is likely to decline. Larger producers and commodity traders, they'll be fine. Most can fund higher working capital out of their own cash flows if required. Smaller traders, however, they'll feel the pinch. And given a not insignificant portion of these traders are headquartered in Switzerland and rely on the Swiss banking system for finance, well, there's clearly some risk there. With that, you can well see price volatility, particularly for the minor metals as traders are perhaps forced to liquidate unhedged physical positions and as buyers therefore have to potentially seek spot alternatives. Looking forward, however, and the current financial conditions do raise the potential for slowing global growth into the second half of this year. Indeed, BMO Economics, well, team there has noted that the call for a shallow recession in North America later this year was looking a bit dubious given the relentless strength in employment and incomes. But the inevitable tightening in credit conditions we're likely to see now means this looks all too realistic. Note the Fed this week having to continue with rate hikes to curb inflation but at the same time, warning of lower growth. And with Korean exports over the first 20 days of March notably weak, I would say certain indicators are already flashing some warning signs. For commodities, I mean, assuming no overt financial contagion, we actually expect China's strength will support industrial pricing through the second quarter, but the growing second half tail risk means more mid-year precious metal positioning might be somewhat prudent. Meanwhile, in the midst of all this, China set up a new financial regulator to increase CPC oversight of financial institutions. This, of course, will have been in the works for a while, hence the timing is purely coincidental, but it is very interesting to see this focus on financial markets coming through into commodities at the present time. 
Let's be honest, it's not been a great 2023 thus far for battery raw materials. Cobalt is at multi-year lows, lithium's lost 40% and more recently nickel has seen a sharp reversal. Near-term demand indicators, namely orders into cathode manufacturers in China, remain a little subdued. However, that longer-term trend towards greater EV adoption persists and EV sales themselves remain extremely robust across the world. Indeed, this week we have raised our EV sales expectation for this decade, owing to more ambitious OEM vehicle fleet targets, renewed stimulus measures, uh, improved model choice, and evolving consumer preferences. In 2030, we now have 42% penetration rate for EV sales, up from 35% previously. And I would also note that's taking a haircut to the announced plans from auto manufacturers, owing to expectations of consolidation and likely industry constraints. Quite conveniently, with 100 million vehicle sales expected in 2030, that also equates to 42 million electric vehicles. However, not everything is as positive for raw material demand. We now include the assumption that battery pack sizes in both passenger and light commercial vehicles do not accelerate as quickly as previously anticipated. As I've discussed many times, range anxiety and the overbuild of batteries has ultimately fueled a waste of finite resources. And in our view, EV battery sizes simply cannot continue to increase indefinitely in a world where incremental electric vehicles will have to be more mass market than niche and where automakers already have security of supply concerns. We've also updated our cathode chemistry mix to incorporate market developments, most notably the inclusion of sodium ion batteries in our passenger EV outlook. So what are the overall raw material impacts? Lithium demand, that's now above 2.5 million tonnes lithium carbonate equivalent in 2030, that's 17% CAGR from last year's number. Cobalt is up markedly from our previous estimate, and nickel demand from EVs now reaches 1.25 million tonnes in 2030. Copper in electric vehicles now overtakes that in internal combustion engines by 2027, and for aluminium this happens in 2029. I'd reiterate that metals markets are not used to the rates of growth seen in this sector, and with the relative lack of recent investment, demand destruction may be required in traditional demand sources to make room for EVs. As the wider auto industry looks at the implications of higher targets, we are now seeing automakers start to worry about security of supply rather than simply price risk. And this has now resulted into the first forays in direct investment in raw material assets for offtake and or the signing of strategic supply agreements. Such agreements were commonplace between mining companies and automakers in the 80s and 90s and does allow some certainty for producers in terms of volume and price, which should be a re-rating event for those involved in the not-too-distant future. Thank you for listening to Metal Matters. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics you'd like to hear me address, do just get in touch directly. And I hope you can join me next time round to discuss more pertinent issues for the global metals and bulk commodity markets. That was Metal Matters, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Metal Matters on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers, or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more episodes, including our other podcast series, BMO Equity Research in Tune. If you have feedback or suggestions for upcoming podcasts, please do share it with me at colin.hamilton at bmo.com.
To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com forward slash public hyphen disclosure.